Hi, and welcome to The Horn, a podcast from International Crisis Group. I'm Alan Boswell. Today, we're joined by Dr. John Nkengazong, who is calling in from the headquarters of the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Addis Ababa. Dr. Nkengasung leads the Africa CDC and is at the very forefront of the continent's response to the pandemic. We're extremely grateful he nonetheless found time to speak with us about the many dilemmas facing African countries as they battle the virus. Dr. Nkengasung, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. There's been a lot of uncertainty uh, regarding Africa's outbreak thus far. It, it took a while for the coronavirus to spread across the continent, um, and now some places appear to be seeing major outbreaks. I'm just wondering what your models are currently projecting. I think it, it, it makes total sense that uh, Africa is lagging behind because Africa was one of the continents that um, COVID was introduced later than others. Uh, we all know that uh, once the, the virus started in China, it spread it to Europe and the United States, and then most of our imported cases uh, came from Europe. So I think uh, that, that, that gave us time. The reason that I would not give you a straight answer to this is that a model is only as good as the assumptions that you plug into that model. Uh, what are some of the things that we just don't know about? We don't know yet about uh, the, the um, our testing is still very limited. Okay, I mean, where if we are testing was comprehensive and, and massive, you can use that to actually make better projections going forward. We have to be able to document the, the, the deaths, I mean, appropriately. Based on that, I think I can only say that if, uh, based on what we have seen, that if the lockdowns wouldn't have taken place, it would probably be uh, in the hundreds of thousands of, of cases now. So, uh, but as we, we get more accurate assumptions built into a model in the coming weeks, we should be able to um, give you an accurate estimate of where we are heading to with this. I, I think for many uh, of our listeners, they, they possibly didn't hear about the Africa CDC until this pandemic. Can you tell us a bit more of the story of how the Africa CDC came about and ended up taking such a leading role in this pandemic response on this continent? Yes, the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is, uh, was uh, a concept <clears throat> that was um, brought forward by the leadership of the continent at the highest level, at the level of the head of states. The population uh, of the continent uh, at independence was around 300 million inhabitants. They recognized that we are now around 1.3 billion uh, people. And the pattern of diseases where, where <clears throat> was changing. The Ebola outbreak in West Africa actually pushed that uh, thinking forward and, uh, and and made it possible for Africa CDC to be actually launched on the 31st of uh, January uh, 2017. So it is today a specialized technical institution of the African Union uh, charged with uh, giving the mandate to um, uh, manage disease control and prevention uh, issues across the continent. Now, one of the things we as crisis group have have been monitoring is that a lot of multilateral institutions across the world, such as the United Nations, have have really struggled, uh, we think, to kind of fully respond to the pandemic. Um, but in Africa, in many ways, we're seeing the, the opposite. Um, can you talk us through what African leaders and African nations are, are, are doing to band together to fight this collectively? I mean, the first thing is that very early on, 
uh, where, as I indicated, the first case of COVID infection was reported in Egypt. Just one week later, the African Union Commission summoned a meeting of all ministers of health under the leadership of the chairperson, uh, uh, Musa Paki Mohammed, and uh, really discussed the need for a joint continental strategy, uh, which is underpinned by cooperation, uh, collaboration, uh, a coordination, and communication. I mean, clearly, that has paid a lot because we recognize that COVID was going to be an issue in all over the continent if it was an issue in any member state. And President Ramaphosa, in his capacity as the head of the as the president of the African Union, is, has actually shown extraordinary leadership by rallying everybody together. The head of states, uh, uh, we briefed the bureau of the head of states several times, provided recommendations and suggestions which have been taken up. He has also expanded that to including uh, um, the special uh, invoices that he appointed uh, to deal with economic issues and economic challenges of the, the COVID-19. And uh, so that uh, uh, top-down, bottom-up approach has been extremely uh, fun, uh, critical in bringing the continent together to coordinate their efforts to, uh, to, uh, uh, and to ensure collaboration. And again, under the leadership of the chairperson, Musa Faki, he launched an initiative that must be here, which is a partnership to accelerate COVID testing, PACT, which is underpinned by ability to test, to track, and to treat COVID-infected patients. Those three T's are the cornerstone that we believe are going to feed into our continental strategy that has three pillars. One is to limit transmission. The second is to limit deaths, and third is to limit harm. And this uh, this this meeting that President Ramaphosa is is leading with other African heads of state. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Our our understanding is they meet weekly, um, and and that's really an unprecedented sort of coordination. What is it that they're really meeting to talk about? And then what are they tasking these special envoys to do? I mean, they, they meet to talk about the overall uh, continental response strategy across the board, not just for the health part, but for the uh, economic and, and financial uh, uh, dimensions there. For, for instance, one of the, um, the strong recommendations that came from the, the, this Bureau of Head of State was the need for the continent to have a poor procurement platform to unlock supply chain management issues related to COVID uh, uh, or needed to respond appropriately to COVID-19. I think that could only have come from that highest level of, of the continent. Secondly, I just mentioned about the PACT uh, strategy, which is the partnership to accelerate COVID testing. They recognized uh, very early on that you needed uh, a coordinated uh, such strategy to uh, enable the continent to be on the right path, and that came from, from the Bureau. Um, then the invoices and the private sector, I, mean, I must say that the private sector, President Amaphosa, has been extremely deliberate in bringing in the private sector uh, uh, into this dialogue, uh, recognizing that it is a multidimensional crisis we are dealing with. And the private sector has actually uh, stepped in uh, to support, I mean, including the fund. He, through his leadership, he established the, the fund, the African Union COVID Response Fund. Uh, which is uh, now now has a governing board, and uh, uh, member states have been pledging. Uh, the private sector has been, been pledging, and individuals have been pledging into into that fund. I think that is extraordinary in itself that the fund 
already uh, has a, a, a structure that is coordinating it, including the Secretariat, which is housed at the Africa CDC, and then the, um, the, the governing board, the, the board itself. And of course, one of the reasons such coordination might be critical for Africa is just the extreme inequities right now globally in terms of how different countries are able to access some of these global markets. Can you tell us what it's like right now trying to get medical supplies and therapeutics, you know, even remdesivir, if you're a less wealthy uh, country from Africa on the, on, the global, uh, on the global market as all countries across this world face this pandemic and are trying to get the same supplies? You're absolutely right. One of the key decisions and recommendations from the head of state, the Bureau, was to establish a platform, a common platform that will allow us to coordinate our efforts. You have to look at the market and clearly understand that as individual countries, there is not much that uh, Africa uh, can do. I mean, you you are competing with countries in the West that are coming in with billions and buying uh, uh, large quantities of of COVID-related response communities. So by by pulling our efforts together, that will allow us to at least uh, approach that market with a common front and also approach that market with the understanding that um, uh, we have large quantities to to place in there. So we are very optimistic that in the next coming uh, weeks, really, uh, that the platform will go live, will go operational, and then we'll begin to ease our uh, supply chain management uh, issues related to COVID response. Now, we've seen a lot of the global response start to become alarmingly politicized. Uh, One of the issues that people are now talking a lot about is a vaccine. And there's talk now about what people are calling a people's vaccine. Uh, How are African leaders pushing for fair access to a vaccine when and if one is available? Based on previous lessons that we've learned in uh, the field of public health and the challenges that Africa faced when uh, 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 these uh, products have become available. For example, you know that um, the antiretroviral therapy, access to antiretroviral therapy was very challenged on the continent. Uh, The first set of drugs were available in 1996, but it would not be up to uh, 2000 or so, uh, early 2000 that Africa started having access to, to drugs. So the concern raised by the, the leadership of the continent, of course, including Africa CDC, is valid and is grounded on past experience. So the People Vaccine Movement is an initiative that is very much welcome. That says that vaccines should be a common good for everybody. That says that if a vaccine is available, it has to be accessible in an equitable manner and also in a timely fashion. Uh, to uh, to everybody who is in need of it, uh, we we make that appeal, uh, which was published in the Financial Times uh, just uh, last week. But it cannot end there. It has to be a sustained appeal for vaccine uh, once they are available to be um, uh, accessible to everybody on a timely fashion. And African nations have also been making a push for debt relief. Um, can you explain a bit why? leaders view the issue of debt relief um, and the debt burden as very critical to addressing in order for them to to fully respond to the pandemic within Africa? Africa started having serious economic challenges even before the continent was hit with COVID-19 because our our inability to export. I mean, we depend heavily on the export market, exporting raw materials to uh, Europe, to United States, to China. 
So when countries started shutting down their, 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 their borders, uh, say China, uh, Europe, it became in, uh, the economic pressure immediately settled on the continent then. So it's very important that uh, uh, the, the continent factors in the economic stress that uh, uh, it has witnessed into their response strategy because without money, without funding, you, there's very little you can do in the way of responding to these uh, uh, disease uh, outbreaks or pandemic, especially uh, such a global uh, pandemic like, uh, like uh, COVID-19. The continent would absolutely need a substantial uh, amount of economic uh, 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 stimulus to, to get uh, back to where it was. I mean, we've seen uh, rich countries like the United States, uh, France, Britain, Germany inject a huge amount of, of money into the, the system. Africa doesn't have that. And so you re re count on debt relief, debt standpoints, and, or, uh, and all kinds of mechanisms to allow the continent to get back to its feet and start uh, operating uh, its economy appropriately, which also will allow it to invest into its own uh, health system uh, strengthening efforts. You, the Africa CDC, have a strong partnership with both the U.S. CDC, also the, the Chinese CDC. You partner with both the Bill and Melinda uh, Gates Foundation and also have been supported and receiving supplies from the Jack Ma Foundation. I'm just wondering, are those partnerships under strain because of geopolitics right now? And are you worried about geopolitics getting in the way of a coordinated uh, response? I think we are very we are worried about where we are heading with our pandemic and and here I think that keeps me awake every day because of what we are seeing in Europe what we are seeing in the United States and what we saw in China and I think this is the time for Africa to be supported we recognize our limitation that we have very weak health systems in place they were weak before covid-19 and they were already challenged with the burden of HIV, TB, and malaria. And they were challenged with the burden of maternal childhood. They were challenged because of the rising non-communicable diseases. They were challenged because of issues related to uh, antimicrobial resistance. And they will even be more challenged with the, um, the, 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 the pandemic uh, of, of COVID-19. So what Africa really needs now is a true partnerships that will support us to overcome these tremendous challenges there. I think if you ask me where my focus is more is how do we bring this pandemic to a closure? What do, I, what do we do collectively to make sure that it doesn't get to where it is in the United States or Europe or what we saw in China? That is my number one concern and we are really hoping that our strategy, which is underpinned by cooperation, uh, collaboration and coordination will enable, will be an enabler so that uh, everybody find the space to support Africa within that context of, 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 of cooperation. As you know, there's a bit of a fierce debate about lockdown measures. Some worry African leaders are causing more harm than good by following the lockdown model. You've talked in favor of these lockdowns. Do you understand the concerns that so many Africans are financially vulnerable, that this approach might carry a much greater cost in Africa than elsewhere? Absolutely. I think we, uh, as a continent, we find ourselves between uh, a hard place and a rock. Uh, where, uh, here we're dealing uh, with a virus that has no vaccine against, has no treatment, and we also know that uh, what works, what we know that works is that we have to use standard public health uh, approaches, which says that you have to test people 
find their contacts, isolate them, track their contacts, and then uh, those two are sick, you take care of them. That's known. Those are known and proven strategy. However, we also live with the reality of the continent that there's a lot of uh, uh, informal uh, uh, em uh, employment or economy uh, that drives, uh, 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 that, that we live with. We also live with the fact that our socio-cultural context is different from uh, uh, many uh, uh, countries in, in the West. But we also know that uh, if we do not do, that we don't have a choice of not doing anything. That if we do not do anything, then the virus would have ravaged us completely. So I think uh, it's a balance between saving lives and saving livelihoods that we have to dance that dance. Now, with the lockdowns that were implemented early, as I indicated, there's strong evidence and scientific evidence that they led to a, 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 a significant delay of the, 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 the spread of the virus. The challenge now is how do you maintain it going forward? But we've developed guidelines that countries should use to begin to unlock their, their economies in a safe and secured manner. And those guidelines, uh, uh, we hope in that uh, will be uh, followed uh, and followed soon and in a very thoughtful manner. I think very clearly we are saying that uh, as you unlock your, your, your economies, make sure that you have good testing going on, uh, good surveillance, that is the tracking part of it, and that you have good uh, systems to triage the patients as uh, if they, they get infected and they come to the hospital. It's not a question of if the number of cases will increase, it's when and by how they will increase. Because clearly, as you unlock people and people start moving around more freely and, 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 and trying to live their normal lives, it will be, uh, 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 you'll see more cases there. We have to also approach this that we might be living with this virus for a very long time, that this is not a quick fix. Uh, it's not going to be like turning on the switch and off and then we're, dealing, we're done with the virus. Uh, it's not Ebola where, where it's more localized. It's continued to be very generalized. In other words, we have to look at what measures we take at the country level, what measures are taken at the regional level, and what measures are taken continentally so that our planes can begin to, to, uh, to fly uh, uh, trade can continue uh, to, to flourish. That's what is going to maintain our economies and then leads to uh, the ability to, for that, the gains, the economic gains to be uh, reinvested into uh, the, the system. On that guidance you're giving on how to ease lockdowns, in what ways is it specific to the challenges and circumstances facing African countries particularly? Africa is a continent of 55 countries, so it will be hard to impose one set of, of, of activities to uh, uh, extrapolate that across 55 member states. But we are hoping that uh, countries can take the guidance and then look at it carefully and then customize and contextualize uh, those uh, guidance into their own uh, very specific country realities. Now, I, I know that you've also briefed the African Union Peace and Security Council um, about the about the coronavirus, I'm wondering what what concerns are there right now uh, among African leaders about the possible downstream consequences of this disease in terms of possible instability, its effect on peace processes, political transitions, peacekeeping missions. I, I mean that uh, all of the above. I've, I've briefed the Peace and Security Council many times, and uh, I think they are extremely. Uh, concerned with uh, all of the things that you have indicated, the ability for the virus to impact uh, the, 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 um, our res the, the response capacity of the peacekeeping force, uh, force uh, the ability that it can actually, uh, because we are focusing elsewhere, 
uh, and trying to contain the virus uh, uh, that uh, um, right-wing groups or uh, radical groups can take advantage of that. I think the Peace and Security uh, Council is fully uh, aware of that. But uh, also importantly is that they are ready to give us the right support, uh, uh, like working with them to uh, move things across the continent using um, uh, the, the Africa's uh, AU standby uh, bases that are around the continent. That is all facilitated by the Peace and Security Council of, of, of the AU. All of the issues you raised there are pertinent issues that they are debating almost on a weekly basis on what to do and how to resolve them and find common solutions. In the end, it has to be an African-led response, and an African-owned response, which is characterized and guided by the uniqueness of our continent. I'm just wondering, when you look at the, the, the spread of the disease thus far in Africa, of course, like we talked at the beginning, initially, you know, we saw the cases lag. Do you still uh, have hope that the continent might evade the, the worst, or, or do you still think this is, in some ways, the calm before the storm? I, I, my uh, uh, public health instincts would tell me that uh, we that, that the, we should be preparing uh, uh, for the worst case scenarios uh, because again uh, this is a virus we've only known for the past four months. There's a lot of unknowns about this virus, and we also know what we know about the virus. That it's a virus that tends to uh, give you a false sense of, of, of uh, complacency, and then uh, it takes off very quickly. Uh, it seeds itself into the population and it becomes extremely difficult to unroot it from, uh, from the population. So, I mean, my um, uh, strong advice uh, to the, the, the continent and guidance is that let's redouble our efforts and do all of this uh, with, uh, uh, and do all of this with the concept that we have to maintain human rights and uh, at the center of our, our fight against this virus, that there cannot be discrimination, stigmatization, of any violence associated uh, to this. I think that the, the, it has to be the whole of government approach that says that we can use the military to um, implement and support certain things, but it cannot be at the expense of the, the rights of, of the citizens of the countries there. And lastly, that to win this battle, it has to be a strong community component of this. Community engagement is critical in this. Community engagement has to be expressed in several ways, that they understand what is going on, they own the process, and we create champions and leadership within the different communities. Uh, thank you so much, Doctor, for, for coming on and, and giving us the time for this fascinating discussion and, and, and best wishes as you continue to, to try to fight this virus across the continent. Thank you. Thank you for the, the opportunity. Thanks for listening. We hope you're keeping safe and well. Once again, this is a podcast from International Crisis Group and produced by Mae Francis.